0: Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to read some verses here, and they'll be on your screen as well if you don't have your Bible, but I would strongly encourage you to bring your Bible when you come. Get used to thumbing through the pages and reading it. So here's what it says. This is Nehemiah telling his story. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands and decrees and your laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people. Whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him the favor, granting him favor in the presence of this man. Last week we started diving into the story of Nehemiah. And we talked about how Nehemiah was. Uh, one of the people of God who were exiled. So for a few hundred years, there had been wars in the land where the the people of God lived and they had been deported, exiled, and living in another land. And now a wave of people are beginning to be returned back to the homeland. This is about 400 or so years before Jesus is born and comes on the scene. And so this wave of people are beginning to go back to their homeland. And Nehemiah learns in the middle of all of that, that the the walls of Jerusalem, the, the city of Jerusalem, the place where God's blessing is supposed to be resting, that the place where his name is supposed to be resting, those walls are in ruins. And Nehemiah is just distraught over this. So he begins to weep and fast and pray for a number of days. And so we talked last week about about how Nehemiah is unique in the story. And despite there being reasons not to step up in this moment and to see God do something new, Nehemiah had a position of power he had a lot of influence because he was a cupbearer for the king. He had a lot of pain because he was an exploited person, a person who was a slave in the palace. Uh, he, and so that he didn't let his pain and his brokenness keep him from stepping in it. He was a person who was really pious. He had a, a deep relationship with God, but he didn't let that just be about him. He actually stepped up in that moment and, and, and began to rise up and then step into the thing that God was doing. And the story in the book of Nehemiah is all about how those walls get rebuilt and God's people re- turn. And there's a mini short-term revival in the people of God. And we talked about how God is still looking right now for people to step into what he's doing. Like that, that God is the same then as he is today. Like, right? And so he's still looking for people who will perceive what he's doing and then step into it. People who will rise up and then build, step into the thing that God's building. And we get to be a part of that. Like, that as a church today, we get to be a part of the thing that God is doing. God is working at the renewal of all things, reconciling heaven and earth under Jesus. He's bringing, every, God wants to make all things new. And the mind blowing part of that is He wants you to be a part of it. He wants me to be a part of it. Guys, I don't think that you understand the magnitude of that situation. God has rested the future of the world. Jesus doesn't have a body on earth other than you and me and and his body of Christ all over the world. The way that God chooses to work in the world is through his people. The way that God is choosing to redeem and reconciling all things is through his people. That is an enormous privilege, guys, an enormous privilege. And it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're a retiree, if you work, if you work, whatever it is that you do, God has purpose and a plan for you in it to like step into his story. it's, it's awesome, guys. Now, you might be feeling like, look, I, I know that that's true, but I'm just like, I'm just trying to get by. <laughs> like, I, it's great. See, I get inspired by vision like that. When I hear someone say, I get to be a part of the renewal of all things, I'm like, yes, where do I sign up, right? But there are times in my life where it has not felt that way. It's been like, no, I, like it just, I just barely got here. My kids were driving me bonkers before I got here, whatever it might be. I'm about to lose my job. I'm on my last penny in my bank account. My marriage is in shambles. Like Whatever it is, you might just feel like I'm just, I'm just here. I don't, know that, I don't know that I have it to be a part of it. I just need Jesus to do something in my life. Well, here's the beauty of the story of God. Is the brokenness in your life that you might be feeling right now, is just a part of the overall brokenness that's going on in the world. And the fact that you showed up and that you're here or that you're watching online is kind of evidence that you say things are not as they should be. And I want Jesus to restore this. I want Jesus to work in here. And that's actually the way the kingdom of God grows like a mustard seed in your life and in your heart. And if you allow him to have his rule and his reign in your life, then that will spill over into other things in your life. And so the very fact that you feel like, gosh, I feel overwhelmed that I just need Jesus for me, if you just let him have his way, then all of those things will work themselves out because he promises that he will add everything to you if you seek his kingdom first. I'm not saying that life will be easy. Actually, Jesus promises the opposite. He was like, hey, uh, in this life, there will be trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so what happens for us is if we're willing to say yes to even just inviting Jesus into our brokenness right now, it means that that is one step closer to being a part of the renewal of all things. The renewal in your life is a part of the renewal of all things the healing that's happening in your life, the restoration that's happening in your life is a testament to the Jesus is making all things new. What we need to do is pull our voices together and raise them together and say, yes, like we overcome by our testimony, by the things that God has done in our life. And so Nehemiah was one of those people who would step into that, who would step into that story of God. But before he would do that, Before he stepped in and and before he rose up in that moment, there was a preparation that needed to happen. A preparation that needed to happen before the building. And his weeping and his praying and his fasting, that was preparing for what was to come. It reminded me of uh, a few years ago, uh, our deck in our backyard was an absolute shambles. So we've got a pool in our backyard and We had this deck and when we bought the house, we didn't realize how bad of shape the deck was in. And if you would walk in our deck, there was a very high likelihood that you would step on a spongy piece of wood and your foot could go through it. Uh, It was like a shady, shady thing. Uh and so it got to the point like where we like kind of found all the like weak spots and we would like put potted plants over the weak spots, but they were in random places. So it'd be like, Why is there a plant in the middle of the deck? It's like so you don't die. Like we just like, you gotta, you gotta step around it. And so we did this. And so finally, someone was like, Hey, we gotta do something about this, like we gotta we gotta fix this. And so uh, and so a, 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 some of our friends gathered around and say, Hey, we will we will help to replace this thing, and we got a vision for what might be, and we thought, okay, it would be awesome if we instead of a deck, we had this patio, not something that's not going to go bad in a few years, but allows us to really entertain people and have people at our house and like, and really use our backyard. And so we were like, yes, this is going to be awesome. We started in April. And from April until like August, all we did was prepare the ground for the patio. Right, Jeff? Like every weekend. Some of you are like, yes, I remember. I sweated over that patio and I'm so grateful for you. Like, but we had to like take up the deck and rip it apart. And then we had to dig and dig and dig and dig and take dirt out and more dirt and more dirt. And then after we did all that, then we brought new dirt in and new sand in and new gravel in and that had to be compacted. And it was like this never ending process. And from April until I think it was August, all we were doing was preparing to actually do the building. The thing that was in our heart at the very beginning to see this patio done, uh, like the bulk of the work was in preparation. And it just made me think about like how it's so important to be attentive to preparation. Like we all want to see something awesome, right? There's not a person in this room who's like, I would rather not see a movement of God, right? You're here because you believe that Jesus changes things, right? And you're here because you believe that we're called to make disciples of all nations, right? And you're here because you believe that you have a part in that, right? right? And so all of us want that. But are we willing to do the preparatory work that needs to happen to see God do that? Nehemiah steps into that process of preparation. And for him, that preparation time looks like repentance and prayer. It looks like stepping in intentionally to a time of being repentance and prayer. And we'll talk about what this means in just a second. But let me just say there has never been that I'm aware of a move of God in history that didn't start with people repenting in prayer. I can't think of one. Every move of God throughout human history has started with a moment of people repenting before God. Of people coming before God. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about the First Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening or the Azusa Street Revival, the the Welsh Revival, the Hebridean Revival, like as far back as you can think and all throughout the Scriptures. Like whenever God moves, it's preceded by repentance. So practically speaking then, repentance is just a change of mind that leads in a change of direction. A change of mind... That leads us to a change of direction. You can, you can parse it a number of ways. We could dive a lot deeper and talk about all these different things. But at the end of the day, repentance is about a change of mind and a change of direction. It helps me to think about there has to be a change of mind. That's revelation. There's something that we learn about God. We thought one thing and then we discover something new. That's revelation. A revelation, don't think about the, the book at the end of your Bible. It just means something has been uncovered. Something has been revealed that you didn't know before. And the Bible is full, and history is full of people who have revelations of God, like a revelation of the character of God, a revelation of something about who God is, or what God is like, or what God has said. There's a a revelation, but then that revelation is followed with a response. There's some sort of response to what we now know. And repentance is about revelation and about response. It's about knowing something about God and then saying, okay, now that I know this, I'm going to do something about it. Now, because repentance is a, repentance, let's be honest, it's a really churchy word, right? Like, you don't use the word repentance when not, ta- when talking about other things, right? I, I, my guess is you're not at work being, like, talking to an employee, like, you re- really need to repent of that mistake that you made today, right? Like, we use this in, like, in the, in the church world, but re- the idea or the concept of repentance is really something that we do in every li- everyday life. So, has this experience ever happened to you? You go to get in your car thinking that you have a allotted amount of time to get to point A to point B, and thinking my car has plenty of gas to get there. And then you turn on your car and realize that someone in your house has actually uh, used up all the gas and your gas light is now on. And now all of a sudden you have a decision to make. Now that I know I've had this revelation that I do not have enough gas, like am I going to chance it and just try to get there? Or am I going to go and do something about it? Am I going to go and fill up my car with gas? Does this happen to anyone ever here? Yeah, no, it's just, it's just our house, babe. It's just our household. We're the only people do it. I'm sorry I do it to you all the time. So, but you, you, it's revelation. I thought I had enough gas and I thought I could get there in X amount of time. And now I realize I do not have enough gas. And now I have to do something about it and I have to decide what am I going to do with this information? There's revelation and then there's response. A lot of times, this, this happens all the time, we hear some kind of news, like something we didn't know before. Maybe it's a bad doctor's report, or maybe it's like a, some financial like, you know, thing that you're just like, oh my gosh, I lost my job. There's revelation. I, didn't, I thought it was going to happen this way, but now I realize it's happening this way, and now I have to decide what I'm going to do about it. How do I respond in this situation? But we also do this like, with positive things. So like, when our oldest daughter was born, um, we had plans for Memorial Day weekend, she was born just before Memorial Day weekend. And we thought we would be able to get through Memorial Day weekend. We had plans. We had stuff we were going to do. And the doc, Jen had a doctor's appointment. And basically, the end, that ended with, cancel your plans. The baby is coming now. And like, so we had a revelation. And we had a response. And that was a great thing, right? Like We had to, to make a change. We thought we were going to do one thing. And then we had to go a different kind of direction. And we do this in everyday life. Honestly, guys, the challenges. We do the opposite with God. So often we learn new things about God and we're like, thank you very much. That's very interesting. You watch a, you, you listen to a Bible study. You watch a great thing on a Right Now Media. You hear a, a, a great sermon at some other church, not here. I'm just kidding. It's here too. Like you hear something and you're like, oh, that's very good. That's great. But then we don't do anything with what, we, what we've heard. And that's actually the opposite of what God wants for us, because what he's looking for are people who will respond to the revelation of who he is. All throughout history, God has been looking for people who are responsive to what he says and what he, what he does. It's actually at the heart of our relationship with God. It's, not, it's impossible to have a relationship with God without repentance. It's impossible. We, we cannot have a relationship with God if we don't acknowledge what is true and then change our course of direction. It doesn't always have to be about heavy, sinful things. It could be about good things. Imagine if I told Jen all the time the things that I like and I love and she never did anything about it. Or imagine if she told me the things that she doesn't like and she doesn't love and I kept doing the same things. That's a really terrible relationship, right? Right? Like, that is not what God wants for us. That's not the kind of relationship. And for Jesus, he came on the the scene in Mark chapter 1. He has this summary statement when he says, the kingdom of God is near. Like, the time is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. This is a summary statement of what Jesus' preaching was about. Jesus came and he preached a gospel of repentance. But the thing is, this was good news. We don't think as, as repentance is good news. We think of repentance as bad news. When you learned I was talking about repentance just a few minutes ago, my guess is something in your heart going, Oh, this is bad news. But Jesus says, Repent and believe the good news. Because what he wants for us is to reveal who he is, and then we respond to that. That is really good news. Because whatever it is we have in our life, Jesus has better. He has better. And so we we should be excited when when we hear the word repentance, because it means I get to step into something better. It means I have to step into something better. I love to be, like, I don't know about you, but I love to be, like, surprised by things that are better. Like, I love, like, when I go and, like, I don't expect the food to be as good at a restaurant, and then all of a sudden the food is better than expected. I love that. Or you go to see a movie and it's better than you expected. Like repentance is like that. It is always better. His way is always better. It does not necessarily feel that way on the front end. You might not necessarily think that way in the front end, but it's better. It's better. You see, repentance is all about us just yielding to God. It's about us seeing, uh, seeing that, God, you're wanting to do something new and I want to make space for you. Repentance is like the preparatory work before God builds something. It's like before God is going to do something in our life, we have to attend to what's here. We have to look at the broken deck. We have to look at the soil that needs to be tilled up and attend to that. Now, I want to be really clear about something. Repentance is not something we do without God, as though it's, just, it's a work that we accomplish. I want to be really clear about that. Like we have to do something to prove our value and our worth to God. That's not what repentance is about. Repentance is is about us accepting God's gracious invitation to yield to him. It's only because he has pursued us and invited us in that we get to say yes. Do you get that? Like, so this isn't about us proving ourselves to God. It's about saying, yes, God, you can have your way into me. Think for just a minute about that thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, Luke chapter 23, Jesus is hanging on the cross and there's two criminals hanging on either side. And one in verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man is having a revelation about who Jesus is. He, Jesus is on the cross. And in that moment, we have both people, but guess what? Both are t- basically saying Jesus is the Messiah. But only one really sees Jesus for who he really is. Do you get that? One guy is mocking Jesus. And, and, he, and in one sense, he sees who Jesus is. The, the, on the other hand, the person really sees who Jesus is. He's having a revelation in this moment. If you are truly the Messiah, like, then you, I don't deserve to be here next to you. I am the one that deserves to be here, not you. That's a revelation. And then listen to the response. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Isn't that awesome? That's a a response. So we think of repentance has to be this big upheaval, this big thing. But in this moment, we see repentance. If Jesus is who he says he is, that's revelation, then my only response is, save me. God, it's the grace of God and the scandal of Christian faith that Jesus can save like that. Do you realize that? Oh, Um, The good news is better than you'll ever imagine. And, and the more you journey with Jesus, the more that good news is gonna bubble up in your heart and the more it will be a delight in your life to repent. It will be a joy in your life to repent. And Jesus tells him, okay, you'll be with me in paradise. That's awesome. This turning to God is an essential element in our lives and it's not meant, by the way, to just be a, uh, a one-time kind of thing where we just repent one time. It's actually meant to be a lifestyle of repentance. we're not supposed to just have fleeting moments, just a one moment where we say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Please let me go to heaven. That's great that the thief on the cross did that. But Jesus' expectation is if that that thief was delivered, was that he would continue to have that same attitude in his heart for the rest of his life. And that's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for you and I to have a lifestyle of repentance, so Nehemiah, when he discovers what, the, what has happened and he remembers what God is like, he has this revelation. He can't stand for it. And so then he responds with prayer. He responds with prayer. And here's what I'd say about that. Repentance is not limited to prayer, but it's really, really hard to repent without prayer. Repentance isn't limited to prayer, but it's really, really hard to repent without prayer. So here, let's just briefly look at what this looks like for Nehemiah when he What does repentance look like? The first thing is that repentance looks like acknowledging the truth, acknowledging the truth. Nehemiah says this, he prays, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that's praying now before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. This is a summary statement. This is like, my guess is Nehemiah prayed way more than this. So this is a summary of Nehemiah's prayer because he prayed this prayer for probably four months, by the way. Like, so this is a summary of everything that Nehemiah was praying over those four months. But this is just an acknowledgement about what is true about God. God, you are great and awesome. You can't have, uh, you can't repent if you don't acknowledge the truth. And the most important truth is how good God is. It's the thief on the cross looking at Jesus saying, oh my gosh, we deserve to be here, but that guy doesn't. And so Nehemiah in this moment acknowledges the truth about who God is. You are covenant keeping God. You, you keep your promises, God. I, I know, God, that you'll listen to your people. You made this promise a long time ago that you would listen to your people. And so repentance has to start with acknowledging the truth about who God is. It's not about how bad we are. Hear this. Repentance is not about how bad we are. It is about how good God is. It is about how good God is. So Nehemiah is like, God, you're like, you're so holy. You're so amazing. You're so powerful. Like, uh, and it, it, it's awesome throughout the scriptures when people have a, a revelation of who God is. They're absolutely overwhelmed by it. It is mind-blowing to me that the goodness of God can strike fear in the hearts of people. That's crazy. Do you know in the Bible when people encounter angels who, like, carry the holiness of God? Like, what do, what do the angels always say? Like, don't be afraid, Right? When Isaiah comes before the throne room of God in the beginning of the book of Isaiah and he he sees all these crazy angels and people bowing down and singing, whatever, he's like, oh my gosh, he falls down. Woe is me, I have unclean lips. Like I can't stand in the presence of God. That is because he sees how good God is, not because he sees how bad he is. Because there's no one like him, because there's no one like God. The reality is that, that false ideas about who God is Creep into our minds. We have a hard time believing in the goodness of God at times, the faithfulness of God at times. And so it's important in repentance, in prayer, to remind ourselves and acknowledge the truth about who God is. Have you ever had a false belief about someone? That's dangerous. A false belief. Like, you ever, like, avoid somebody because you thought that they had done something and then only to find out later they didn't do the thing? Come on you know, it's true. This is the thing that we all do. Like we have false ideas about people. One time we were at a restaurant downtown uh, Chicago and um, uh, it was, uh, the, the waitress was started telling us about a group of people who came in and guys who were rowdy and they were like, had drink too much to drink and they were just kind of getting a little, like a little too crazy. And they were trying to pick fights. And they, they saw another group of guys come in and that were kind of unassuming, smaller, didn't look like tough guys at all. Well, and so this group of rowdy guys tried to start picking a fight with this other group of guys. Well, what they didn't know is that this group of guys were from the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu School in downtown Chicago. And if you don't know anything about that, this is like MMA elite fighting. Like this is like mixed martial arts. Like these are dudes you do not want to mess with. And so the the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu guys were like trying to like, you know, brush it off and act like, you know, like we're not going to fight. This is not what we do, whatever. And these guys kept pressing, kept pressing. And then bad things happened. Because they had false beliefs about who these guys were, falsehood is dangerous. Falsehood is false beliefs is what led some some people who are Muslims who believe that 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 all united all the people in the United States are evil, fly planes into the twin towers. False beliefs lead people to do all kinds of crazy things. It's not always that extreme, but what we believe matters, and what's true about God really matters. And so we have to make sure that we're responding and acknowledging the truth about who God is. False beliefs about God are really, really dangerous for us. When we see who God is, true repentance is possible. And then we see ourselves in light of who he is. And when that happens, then we get to call on God for compassion and mercy. That's where confession comes in. Repentance looks like confession. Acknowledging God and then confession. Nehemiah prays, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you have given your servant Moses. Confession of sin is what Nehemiah is doing here and it's an absolutely essential part of forgiveness. In light of your goodness, God, in light of who you are, in light of the fact that you are a covenant-keeping and loyal God, I see that we are unloyal. We have not been faithful to you. In light of how holy you are, God, I see that we are unholy. God, in light of how kind you are, I see that we've been unkind. And Nehemiah in this moment acknowledges this is why we have find ourselves exiled. This is why we're in the predic- predicament we are in the first place. And so Nehemiah confesses this, look, I have done wrong, God. It would have been easy for Nehemiah, a pious Jew, a person who was, from all accounts in our account, been a faithful person to pawn it off on those people. Our ancestors weren't faithful to you. My friends aren't faithful to you. But he doesn't do that. He says, me, myself, my fathers, my family, we have not been faithful to you, God. And then he acknowledges the sin of the nation. It's not, it's not just an individual thing. There's a corporate thing too. The Old Testament is full of corporate confession. The New Testament is full of that as well. It is our fault. Like, God, we need your forgiveness. And this confession is absolutely so important, guys. We live in a, like the you do, you boo society, right? We live in the society of it's your truth. And anything goes. While it's true that we are all image bearers of God, it's also true that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says we're all like sheep who have gone astray. We are at our absolute best, apart from Jesus, have a mix of good and bad desires going on. We have disordered loves. It doesn't mean we're all evil, terrible people all the time but it just means that at our absolute best, we cannot get it right. Does anyone else feel that way? You read Romans chapter seven, it's like the thing I wanna do, I can't do. And the thing I know I should do, I can't do that. And like, and like this is the state of humanity. We all, every single one of us, stand in need of forgiveness. The, Paul, the apostle Paul calls us slaves to sin. It's like, you have a master and it's not you. You think it's you. Right now, guys, can I just get on a little bit of a horse for a second? Like, the the world thinks that what they're doing is giving in to the desires that will fulfill them and make them happy. And they're actually being slaves to something and they don't know it. And all of us at one point in time were a part of that. And there are the echoes of that even now in our life. There are the echoes of the lifestyle that calls us back Right? For those of you who've been rescued and redeemed by the Lord, you know that there are these echoes wooing you back. The the reality is it's easier to give in to the desires of the flesh. It's just easier. It just doesn't bear the fruit in our life that we want it to. It leads to a path of destruction for us. Guys, the world is not getting better. Despite all the appeals and all the desire for the world to say, you do you, boo, and you just give in to what you want, it is breaking us. 1 John says that if we, if we say we have no sin, we're calling God a liar. Holy cow, that's harsh. Obviously, there's good news. Jesus came to provide once for all forgiveness, for anyone who would call on his name. So all of that stuff I just said is true. It is more true that Jesus forgives and Jesus saves and his blood covers you. And like your sins are forgotten. They're as far as for the east is to the west, the north to the south. You are white as snow. That's true. But the assumption of the New Testament is writing is that we'll go on, once that is true about us, learning how to walk in that freedom learning how to grow in righteousness, that we would, like Paul says in Philippians, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus, Paul is saying that to believers, not non-believers, that we would learn how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit rather than in step with what our flesh wants, that we would go on confessing our sins like James talks about and like Hebrews talks about and like John talks about. The confession of sin is essential to our relationship with Jesus. I say this not with an ounce of like heaviness or like hard-heartedness or like condemning. It's just true. And God wants to set us free from this. It does us no good to not acknowledge our sin. It doesn't do us any good. And so Nehemiah in this moment, and and we read in this prayer, he says, yeah, this is me. There are things in my heart that are standing in the way, God. And so I appeal to your mercy. And, and, and we'll, we're gonna talk about this more in the coming weeks that sometimes that like confession and that repentance of confession, it looks like weeping and sorrow. You know, the apostle Paul talks about how godly sorrow leads to repentance that brings salvation. Like there's a godly sorrow that accompanies repentance. It also says it covers over regret because that's a good word. That's a really good word. Godly sorrow leads to repentance that brings salvation and covers regret. That's awesome. I don't know about you, but I've had like sorrow in my life that I've, gone, I've like, kept on regretting. But do you know part of the gospel is that it would actually cleanse our conscience so we wouldn't think about the guilty things we have done in the past? So sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it looks like rejoicing. We're going to see this in the book of Nehemiah. There's an epic feast in the middle of Nehemiah where the people want to weep and they want to like be sorrowful and, and Nehemiah and the priests are like, no, don't do that. Like it's time to feast and rejoice. And so sometimes repentance looks like that too, because it's also the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. You don't respond to acts of kindness with sorrow. You respond to acts of kindness with thank you, Right? Like, did you ever see the show Extreme Home Makeover? This was like popular maybe 10 years ago, where they would find some family who was in some destitute situation and they would go in and totally remodel this house. And then they would do this big reveal for the family, and the people would just be sobbing, overcome in tears. Those aren't tears of sorrow, those are tears of joy. Someone has just encountered kindness that restores them. Guys, there's a kindness that comes with God in confession that's restorative. <laughs> But it starts with owning it. It starts with saying, yeah, something's not right here. I've sinned. And again, every great renewal movement in the church has started with people owning and confessing their sin. How will we know when God is moving in our church? One way will be that we'll see more confession of sin. People will confess their sins to God And in every movement I've ever been a part of or ever witnessed, people start to confess sins to one another. I have some friends right now who've been praying and fasting for a move of God in their church, and they're starting to see this happen more and more without preaching about it, without inviting it, just people confessing sin, like to one another. That's awesome, guys. That's crazy. That's crazy. But this prayer of repentance doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with confession. It moves to action, because repentance looks like taking action as well. Skipping forward a few verses, uh, Nehemiah recounts like God's promises to, uh, if his people were faithful, that he would unfaithful they would scatter them. But if they returned to him, he would bring them back to their homeland, and so. In verse 10, he says, they are your servants, they are your people who you redeemed by your great strength and hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to your prayer of your servants who delight in revealing your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. John, you and the band can come on up. Nehemiah stands in the gap in prayer. Like it's not enough for him to simply pray his own prayer and just, and just pray about himself. He wants to see God come, and so he stands in the gap and prays for his people, but then he goes even a step beyond that. He knows that there's going to be a moment, and we're going to look at this next week, where he's going to be in the presence of the king, and as he's in the presence of the king, he's going to ask the king permission to set the people free. This might not seem like a big action, but this was a bold, bold move. And if God answers this prayer and Nehemiah steps into this action, it means something completely new for God's people. It could have been enough for him to, like, just, be, I made the confession, God. I've prayed my prayer. I've dealt with my stuff. Now, Lord, let's just, like, you just do your thing. But he says, No. I'm about to go into the presence of the king and I'm going to ask you, God, to give me favor because I'm about to ask for something really bold. Our actions in repentance may not always have to look like that, some big, bold thing, but true, genuine repentance is always followed by some change in direction, some change, some shift in our life, some action that we take. Sometimes that, that might be a new mindset, believing one thing instead of believing another. Sometimes that might be, you know, getting rid of something that's causing a sin. Like Jesus talks about, like, if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Like, that's an extreme thing. But Jesus is saying, like, you should take action. Like, you, you should be very serious about cutting the sin out of your life. And your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's, like, hardcore. This is the same Jesus, that we love and we revere, saying, this is so serious for you, you got to cut it out. So take action. And here's what I love about this. It acknowledges that, like, unless God, Nehemiah's prayer here acknowledges that unless God moves, nothing is going to happen. But it also acknowledges that if, unless he moves, nothing is going to happen. This is the great mystery of how God's sovereignty and human freedom are like hand in hand with one another. And how do these things work? Is a move of God a move of God? Or is it something that's brought about by the people? Yes, it 100% is a sovereign move of God, but it requires people who will say, God, I will not stand for this anymore in my land. I will not stand for this anymore in my life. I will not stand for this anymore in my household. I will do something about it. And if we expect anything less than what Nehemiah did and what Nehemiah experienced, then we're like so far out of, out of bounds, guys. We sang that song, you know, about the sail of our heart. It's like the, the, the wind of God, the spirit of God is always blowing. It's up to us to, to like throw up our sail and catch the wind. A boat doesn't go anywhere in the water, a sailboat, unless there's wind blowing. So it absolutely depends on God's sovereignty. But God would prefer for you to throw up a sail and like be guided by him than being tossed around by the winds and the waves because of the chaos around us. So God is looking for a people who will acknowledge the truth, who will confess sin, and then who will take action. And I think that this is what God is calling us to do as a church I think God is moving us into a time and a period of praying that's not just expecting if we just pray the right prayer that God will do this miracle but, a, but the kind of prayer that really says God I just, I have to deal with it, what's in here if I'm being really honest I think that there's a, a level of hardness right now and the, and the kind of the soil of our of our life and our church there's a lack of responsiveness right now. the ground is is dry it, it's not because there's nothing happening but but we're, we're just not quite in sync with the Lord yet if i'm being honest could I be so bold and pastoral as to say that like there, there's just we're, there's just something it's like we're, we're just just about there but we're not quite there and I feel like what God wants to do is till up our life again prepare us like he wants to fall like rain and this is what's going to be required it's going to require that we acknowledge the truth that we confess our sin and then we take some actions in our life and our families and in our church and so here's what we're going to do I know I'm running along and I don't care kids will be fine they're outside playing except for nursery I'll apologize to them later like we'll 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 deal with that we're going to take communion in a minute, but before we do, I think it's really really important that we actually do this right now. So we're going to take about 5 minutes. And we're just going to take we're going to walk through these steps. We're going to acknowledge what is true so here's what I want you to do. I just want you to get yourself in a posture where you're ready to pray, where you're ready to deal some, deal, do some business with God. You might want to uh, like get out of your chair, turn around, face down. If you're able, you might want to like just bend over. You might want to find a place here in the room. I don't care what you have to do, but get yourself in a posture where you're ready to do some business with God. And then here's what we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do is we're just going to acknowledge what is true about who God is. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to begin to talk to God about who he is. Just talk to God about who he is. I'm not going to pray in the microphone. I'm just going to let you do this. I'm going to let the spirit of God work in his people. And so I'm going to cut my mic off and in a couple minutes I'll come back on and then we'll start confessing some things. But let's start by just acknowledging what is true about who God is. As I know, I know that this isn't like um, uh, what a lot of people think about. Like, I want to come to church so that like I can feel really like pumped up and happy. Like, I mean, but I just don't think that a move of God comes up from pumped up and happy. I'm not saying we can't be happy. (laughs) Like, we're going to be happy. We're going to rejoice. There's going to be joy in this house. Like that, but it's going to be genuine joy. It won't just be because the band played a happy song. Uh, like it, it will be because there's genuine joy in our in our hearts. When people are truly joy filled, like you can't contain it, like you, you can't contain it. And so I just want I just want to just say this is going to be a little bit of a challenging journey. Like uh, I feel like there's going to be some stuff that God's going to till up in our hearts, but it's going to be really good. So it might require, just so you know, like it might require, like showing up to prayer. It might require at times lingering a little longer like for, for prayer or for worship. There might be some things that like, that are gonna be different that, than what the norm is. I would just encourage you and challenge you to hang in there and to just keep being receptive and open to God and see what he does in your life. Like I, I just I just know he's so good and he's so kind and he's gonna do something that's gonna surprise you. So stay open, keep an open hand and an open heart and just trust that God is going to guide us, okay? We're not going to manipulate or try to manufacture anything, okay? We're not, going to try to, we're not going to try to force anything. We just want God to do what he wants to do. And here's the other thing I would ask you. I would ask each person here to invite someone to come and be a part of what God's doing. You're like, wait, I don't want to invite someone to come and be a part of this, like, I'm a little bit scared that you're going to like do that thing where you cry and you are like super intense. And that is scary to me. Uh, If, if the Lord is in it, it's going to be okay. If the Lord is in it, it's going to be okay. I'm done trying to like make it fit in the box that works for everybody. Let's just let the Holy Spirit be the wild goose like the Celtics used to call him. Like the wild goose, the Holy Spirit, you can't contain him. He does what he's gonna do. And so we're just gonna let the Holy Spirit do what he's gonna do. And we're gonna be like Jesus, okay? Is that okay? I love you all so much. And it is such a joy to be a leader here and pastor here and to be on this journey with you. And I cannot wait to see what God's gonna do. I just cannot wait. So let's pursue God together, okay? Love y'all. If you're, a, if you're a family with kids and stars, we're going to have a brief meeting right here in front. Come and hang out with us right here, uh, and we're going we're gonna to chat just a little bit.